Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. Japan is a country that is good at many things, but accepting refugees is not one of them. In 2019, just 44 refugees were accepted here. Now, the government has proposed a series of amendments to the Immigration Control and Refugee Recognition Act that, if passed, may make it even harder for people who hope to claim asylum in Japan. Freelance journalist Jesse Chase Lubitz joins me this week to discuss. Jesse, welcome back to Deep Dive. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. The last episode we recorded together focused on a conversation between yourself and an Ethiopian asylum seeker here named Hilne Tekken Tesfor, and it was all about his 11 year struggle to gain asylum in Japan. You're now back in the US due to the pandemic, but you've continued writing about the status of refugees here and recently published an article in Foreign Policy about potential changes to the Immigration Control and Refugee Recognition Act. So, could you tell me why have you kept writing about Japan's refugees? Yeah, I'm still struck by how much Japan has and continues to shirk its responsibility to refugees and asylum seekers. I've stayed in touch with connections in Japan who have insight on the issue and was actually notified about the potential for a new amendment to Japan's immigration law last summer, which has many immigration lawyers and NGOs concerned about the future of, of treatment for people seeking asylum in Japan. So, I wanted to get back on the story. I can't get enough of Japan.、Um, and、uh, the amendment was originally supposed to be proposed in September, but I think a lot of things got pushed back in the diet with the change in Prime Minister. Yeah, of course. So, what's the status of this bill now? Where is it in the grand political process? So, it's already gone through the cabinet、um, and passed the cabinet. And now they're hoping to get it. Finished up by the end of this diet session, which ends in June. But、uh, it, it's possible that it might be pushed to the next session.、Mm -hmm. So the bill is basically planned to be passed in the next few months. Yes. And before we get into the specifics of the proposed amendments contained within that bill, could you give us a quick overview of Japan's current refugee system? Yeah, so Japan signed the 1951 Refugee Convention, and it's a huge donor to the UN Refugee Agency or UNHCR. And the 1951 Refugee Convention is the main piece of international legislation that kind of governs the UNHCR and sets standards for how countries are meant to deal with refugees. Yeah, so Japan does accept some asylum seekers and refugees, but the rate is one of the lowest in the world. In 2019, They accepted less than 1% of refugees and asylum seekers. Just to put that in another way for you, 10,000 people applied and 44 were given refugee status. That was in 2019? Yes. And how does that compare to other developed nations? It's really stark. Germany, which has a similar GDP, accepted around 53% of the people who applied for asylum. They had a little under 170,000 first time applicants. And Canada had 64,000 claims in 2019. They break their data down into the type of claim,、uh, but for claims from countries of alleged persecution, they accepted around 50%. We have to kind of take the accuracy of these numbers with a grain of salt. There are a lot of nitty gritty factors that affect how each country calculates their numbers. But I still think that the general discrepancy in these numbers, tens of thousands versus literally 44 people, gives a good sense of what we're dealing with in Japan. Mm, that Japan is accepting far fewer refugees than other countries in similar positions. Yeah, by, by a lot. And how does the application process actually work for people who hope to gain asylum in Japan? 
So right now, an individual applies for asylum and waits for a response. If they get rejected, they can either request that the decision is reconsidered or they can reapply completely. During the time that they're waiting for their response, they cannot be legally deported. This is called a suspension of deportation, which is a useful term to remember for later. If the reapplication fails, they can appeal in court or potentially reapply again if they have a lawyer. Theoretically, they could do this several times. And how long does this process usually take? It could take years for them to do this. The last podcast I came on, uh, we talked to a really frustrated asylum seeker from Ethiopia named Hilna. He had been trying to attain asylum status for 11 years. He managed to find a job. He learned Japanese while he was there. And he was hoping to become a teacher if he was awarded asylum. He developed this really beautiful appreciation for Japanese culture and society. He even read some of his poems to us on the podcast. Um, And every time, yeah, every time his application was denied, he would appeal again, maybe adding some information on the situation in Ethiopia to avoid being deported. And this dragged on and on. The state of uncertainty was really difficult for him. Ultimately, he was able to get a visa to the U.S. using family connections. So Japan lost to this really incredible person that really wanted to stay. Yeah, the main thing I remember from listening to him speak was just the levels of frustration he seemed to have with the fact he devoted such a large chunk of his life to trying to integrate into Japan and trying to gain refugee status here. And that there was just this ongoing lack of transparency in the system that meant he really didn't know why his applications and appeals kept being denied. Right. And he wasn't able to see his family or he couldn't he couldn't leave because he couldn't he wouldn't be able to come back. So he didn't I think he had never met his youngest daughter. It's a, it's a really hard situation for these people to be in. Yeah, that was really tough to hear. But in some ways, though, he you know seemed to have it relatively easy, I think, as an asylum seeker yeah. here in this country. Obviously, yeah, that fact of him not being able to see his family was devastating for him. But He was given permission to work and given some support from the government and various NGOs and found a good group of people to live and work with, which is not the experience that all hopeful refugees have here. And there are many stories that come out in the press of refugees who have ended up detained in immigration detention centres and are unable to leave for months at a time while staying in pretty appalling conditions. So how does that end up happening? Right. So some people are simply denied and given a deportation order, whether they're waiting to leave, waiting to reapply or waiting for a provisional release. Once they get the deportation order, they must either leave or they're put in a detention center. One of the big issues here that has invited international attention is that they can then be detained indefinitely. By the end of 2019, the number of people detained at 17 immigration centers across Japan for six months or longer stood at 462. They've seen issues like hunger strikes and attempted suicides and serious mental health issues among these long-term detainees. Mm. Has Japan received criticism for this system? It has. Um, NGOs like Amnesty International are are starting to pay attention to this. Um, But Japan has managed to really fly under the radar when it comes to immigration law because of its significant donations to the UNHCR. It seems to have this kind of free pass in the international scene. It's also a historically and geographically isolated country. It's an island surrounded by sea, so there aren't any people walking over the border like we see in the U.S., Europe, or Southeast Asia. And people within the country, as a result, aren't used to seeing immigrants, so they aren't as inclined to question the system. Is this changing at all, though? Are people beginning to pay more attention to Japan's treatment of asylum seekers? 
Yeah, it's starting to change for sure, uh, but it's it's doing so slowly. The turning point seemed to be in 2019 when a Nigerian migrant died while on a hunger strike in a detention center in Nagasaki. The UN Human Rights Council wrote a brief condemning Japan for violating international human rights law by detaining foreigners for an indefinite period of time, as I mentioned earlier. Indefinite detention is causing really huge problems among detainees, and it continues to be an issue now. A 33-year-old Sri Lankan woman died earlier this month from starvation at the Nagoya Immigration Detention Center, but the case barely got any coverage. Let's now go into some of the new legislation that's being proposed to change the system for refugees. It's currently being discussed, right? Right. So the amendment is to the Immigration Control and Refugee Recognition Act, and it was approved by Prime Minister Suga's cabinet on February 19th. The conservative majority is hoping to pass it during this diet session, which ends in June. Um, And immigration lawyers and advocates for more humanitarian policy told me that their goal is to make as many changes as possible to it before it passes or to delay the passing in in this diet session. But there's there's not a lot of uh, positivity among those NGOs and humanitarian workers. Mm -hmm. And because the ruling cabinet has approved this amendment bill and because they have a majority in the diet, it does look pretty likely to pass during this diet session. Right, it does. And I I think it's worth saying that there's a lot that can be changed in that time, but some version of this bill is likely to be passed. As it stands in its current form, what do you see as the most significant revisions being proposed in this amendment bill? Yeah, so there are several different provisions that I'll go through one at a time. The first one would remove that phrase that I mentioned earlier, the suspension of deportation. They that, that phrase, just as a reminder, means that individuals cannot be deported while they wait for a response to their asylum request. This amendment would say that after they apply twice, they can be deported. And that would also mean that they would be put in detention centers if they refuse to leave. Mm. The core principle, as I understand it, of the 1951 UNHCR treaty that Japan is a signatory of is this concept of non-refoulement, the idea that a refugee should not be returned to a country where they face serious threats to their life or freedom. Mm -hmm. So does this First Amendment you've talked about go in the face of that principle if it allows Japan to deport people before they can make a proper legal appeal? It seems like it to me, um, and and it seems like it to some of these NGOs as well. Amnesty International told me that the lack of a, quote, effective independent and impartial review mechanism, end quote, when it comes to deporting individuals would violate the principle of non-refoulement. I also got a somewhat indirect comment from UNHCR Japan saying that they would like to emphasize the need to safeguard this principle. So it it appears that it would, um, but I'm not sure how much the government is necessarily speaking to that. Mm-hmm. So this First Amendment would remove the protection provided by the suspension of deportation that allows asylum seekers to remain in Japan while they appeal the decision on their case. What other revisions are significant? The second provision is that if someone refuses a deportation order, their case is moved from the immigration system and into Japan's criminal system. So instead of being put in an immigration se- detention center, they could actually be put in jail. 
And uh, one immigration lawyer actually told me that this could mean they could be put in jail for however many years and then get out of jail. And as soon as they get out, they could go into a detention center because they're still illegally in the country. Mm. And and this is this is gets even more tricky because not only does it criminalize that specific individual, but it also criminalizes anyone helping them to stay. This is lawyers or NGOs. The whole process becomes an illegal activity. So there's potential that the groups and individuals currently supporting refugees might themselves be criminalized if they continue to support those individuals after their application for asylum has been denied. That's what that's what these immigration lawyers are saying. That's what they're worried about. If if the whole process of reapplication becomes illegal, then how can lawyers take part in it legally? Yeah, that sounds like a dangerous position to be in. What else is contained in the amendment? Okay, so the last main provision that I'll talk about here, and the one that most obviously goes against international condemnation, is that there is still no limit to detention. Individuals can still be held in detention for years and years. So that's a big problem among groups like Amnesty International and and UNHCR. Those are the main three that should be making the headlines. But the new amendment does a few other things that puts a lot of power into the hands of immigration authorities. Such as what? One of them is that detainee, certain detainees can be released if they pay a bail of up to 3 million yen or around $28,000. There's no clear guide that explains how those individuals would be chosen. And to my knowledge, this is being proposed by the government as some kind of bail system for the people seeking to get themselves out of detention centres if they've been stuck there for a while. But also 3 million yen or $28,000 sounds like a huge amount of money for someone who's seeking asylum who might have very little in the way of possessions or have had their assets seized in the country that they've fled from. Yeah, I have a hard time imagining where that money would come from. There's another one that would protect so-called quasi-refugees or people who don't meet the government's standards for asylum but cannot return to their home countries for safety concerns. I'm also pretty unclear about how those people are determined. And finally, the legislation includes a provision to allow for forced medical treatment for detainees at immigration centers to prevent future deaths from hunger strikes. So, you know, these are all efforts, I think. Um, But it feels more to me like a band-aid over a much bigger issue. Yeah, I mean, allowing the forced feeding of people who've been on hunger strike is the perfect example of papering over the cracks, going after the visible symptom rather than fixing the root cause of the problem and finding out why people are going on hunger strike in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Why is the government pursuing these changes? Why are they making them now? So earlier we were talking about the rising number of people in detention centers, and the revisions seem to be in response to that criticism. The Ministry of Justice tried to respond to the issue by forming a subcommittee on the increase of asylum seekers and refugees in detention centers. But rather than proposing more humanitarian laws, the government responded by trying to reduce the number of people coming and therefore being detained and also speed up the process of deportation so fewer people would remain in detention centers. I wasn't able to get a specific comment from someone in the ruling LDP party, but the Japan Times reported in 2018 that the Justice Ministry said most of the refugees applying were 
not quote unquote real refugees, but instead migrant workers trying to abuse the asylum system. And the latest revisions of the amendment seem to follow in that line of thinking. Mm -hmm. And has there been much in the way of political opposition to these revisions? I did speak to a member of the Constitutional Democratic Party. It's an opposition party. Uh, His name was Michihiro Ishibashi. And he feels that the government is really going in the wrong direction with this. He and other opposition members actually proposed an alternative refugee protection bill on February 18th, the day before this one that we're talking about today was passed by the cabinet. And what's become of that opposition bill? Is it just dead in the water because of the cabinet's bill or does it have some chance of advancing through the diet? Not really. At this point, uh, it was proposed the day before the majority party proposed a bill, and so it sort of lost its chance there. But it it does have a lot of hope in it. It, it urged the government to create a framework for refugee recognition that meets international standards and advocates for more transparency. And it also proposes um, further ideas for them to be um, integrated into Japanese society more effectively. Did you manage to talk to any asylum seekers, either past or present, about the amendments and what they feel about the proposed revisions? I really tried to speak to asylum seekers. I was hoping to get their perspective on this, but I didn't have much luck. I found that those who I did talk to didn't know about it. I don't know how true this is across all asylum seekers, of course, but it was interesting to me that the policies aren't even accessible to the people who would be affected by them most. And of course, any prospective refugee isn't actually a citizen here and wouldn't have a voice in trying to change the policies aimed at them, even though they would be most affected by them. How have NGOs responded to the bill? Have you managed to talk to them? Yeah, so I managed to speak to a few different places. Um, Amnesty International told me that detention should only be for a short time frame and only when necessary. They also said in a statement to Japan Times that they had strong concern about the bill since it falls short of international human rights standards. I also had an interview with Eri Ishikawa, the chair of the board for the Japan Association for Refugees, which does a lot of work in helping new refugees uh, figure out how to find housing, language training jobs in Japan. And she told me that she's really concerned about getting enough support to move the law in the right direction. She, like most people, foresees foresees that Suga's government will follow in the footsteps of Abe's. And she also worries that xenophobic sentiment might become worse as a result of COVID. And is there much public interest in or opposition to this bill? Well, based on the people I spoke to, that's where the hope lies. They're hoping to build public support in order to move this in a different direction. Ishibashi, the opposition party member, told me that the only chance they have is to bring more public awareness and support. But he, as well as Ari Ishikawa, worry that not enough people are aware of the issue or willing to go against the government majority. Mm, So it seems likely that these proposed revisions will become set in stone. I mean, I I don't want to go so far as to say that. I I think they're working really hard to to change that. But from my perspective, I'm not sure what will make the change at this point. I want to wrap this up by asking about how this fits into Japan's depopulating society, because Japan is currently losing something like 250,000 people every year. 
a figure that's only expected to get larger and larger each year unless there's some kind of drastic course shift sometime soon. So in the context of that rapid depopulation, doesn't it all feel a bit counterintuitive to introduce amendments like these that make it even harder for asylum seekers to gain refugee status here? Yeah, I think Japan's population story is really the same. No matter what you write, the country is losing people rapidly, schools are empty, farms are deserted, the workforce is dwindling, at least in more rural areas of the country. I think it's this battle between pragmatism and upholding homogeneity. We saw last year with Hilna that there are these incredible people who are hard workers and who have embraced the Japanese culture, language, and way of living, but they're still getting denied refugee status. And if the country refuses to take people like Hilna, it's hard to really visualize who will make up the society in the future mm. or how we get to the point where those people are readily accepted. So this, this refugee story is just one part of an increasing global crisis. The need for developed countries to step up and provide safe refuge is increasing, and Japan has the resources to provide that. I think it will come under increasing scrutiny going forward if it continues to shirk its responsibility to people seeking asylum. Well, Jesse, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much. That was Jesse Chaselewitz. Her article for Foreign Policy on Japan's changing refugee law is linked in the episode notes alongside other reporting from the Japan Times. And now for an important announcement. From next week, Deep Dive will be going on break for about three months while I go to study at an intensive Japanese language school. I'll still be around in Tokyo, I'll be in Japan, and I'll give some more details next week. But for now, just know that the plan is for the show to return in summer. There'll be one more episode after this one, but I wanted to give our regular listeners a heads up before I disappear off next week. That's it for this episode. Until next time, Potsgade Summer. Summer.